0: She saw him leave that morning, but he didn't come back that afternoon.
1: He didn't show up that night. Nobody heard from him. The teen's body was found in a rolled-up gym mat in a high school in 2013. His death rolled accidental. Say my name and remember what you've done. Your hurricane has blackened out the sun.
0: You can't continue to kill unarmed black people and get away with it.
1: But if Kendrick did die of an accident, how, with all that distrust, how could you even ever show that? But then on the flip side is they didn't treat it like it, it could have been a homicide.
2: Lowndes County Sheriff Ashley Palk announced officials were reopening the investigation. only angle is to find justice for my son.
1: You are currently listening to Ashes to Ash True Crime, Season 3, The Investigation of Kendrick Johnson. Episode 6, Dr. Anderson, Part 2. One thing I really wanted to do was talk more with Dr. Anderson about what might have happened to Kendrick Johnson. So we really started to get into the details of what might have happened, why it happened, and what those results mean. Dr. Anderson performed the second and third autopsies. Have you heard of that happening in other cases where a sheriff comes in and says it was an accident that soon without looking at all the information? of course, the
2: most recent one was the the press release in the George Floyd case, (laughs) it was released.
1: The George Floyd report reads, Man dies after medical incident during police interaction. Officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance where he died a short time later. I would feel like not being a doctor myself or not being trained in that. I would feel uncomfortable making that assessment. Even if I was feeling it was that way, I feel like I'd want to wait until the experts weighed in before I said anything. Well, you
2: would think so, yes. It's always a good idea to have the facts before you basically come to your conclusions
1: when you got the body did you feel that the body had been taken care of up to that point
2: the first autopsy basically indicates that there was a fair amount of decomposition change and that the body had not been properly refrigerated initially I believe that there was some indication that the, the coroner had said well the refrigerator wasn't working or something to that effect but normally in a situation like that, the coroner would call one of the local funeral homes, which also all have coolers, and basically have the body taken to one of them so the, you know, it can be properly preserved. But it clearly was not properly preserved for several days. And that's why you had some of the decomposition change. And one of the reasons we did a lot of microscopic examinations of the area we found that looked like hemorrhage was to rule that out. Because blood can settle post mortem. But the blood doesn't go outside, in other words, the, the blood vessels themselves simply become filled with blood, and get a little bit larger, so they look, look like it's hemorrhage. Okay. So the reason you do the microscopics is to say, well, was the blood pushed out into the tissues? Because obviously, if you're dead, that's not going to happen. So that's why we take the microscopics, and sure enough, in Kendrick, it was obviously hemorrhage blood going out into the soft tissue. So that means it occurred while his heart was still going.
1: And you feel like that, you can tell that pretty definitively. Oh
2: yeah, I mean, we do that all the time.
1: Okay.
2: In post-mortem versus anti injuries. If the medical examiner can't tell that, or that's not reliable, I mean, there's a lot of people in jail that are based on analysis of injuries, just mm-hmm. that the state has prosecuted based on things like that, was this anti- before death or after death. It's usually accepted all the time, except when it's inconvenient to somebody that, suddenly that, that doesn't, it's not reliable in this case, but every other case it is, so no, it's right. nonsense.
1: The original medical examiner had weighed the lungs and they were still of a normal weight, is that correct?
2: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons, actually, that was probably the big reason, other than the fact that it seemed like a very improbable event to head down into a standing-up gym mat. Even at that, it still seemed improbable. But uh, had the lungs been heavy, and like it should have been a positional asphyxia, we probably wouldn't have done the exhumation. That was immediate, That, that, that meant that it could not be, possibly positional asphyxia. You'd have to come up with some other cause of death if your primary diagnostic criteria for making the diagnosis is heavy lungs, and you don't have heavy lungs, well, you have a problem of using that as a diagnosis. And since it was the diagnosis and the lungs were not heavy, then that was a red flag immediately.
1: So is that normally your process that you do if a family or a lawyer or someone comes to you and it's like, we want you to take a second look at this? Is that what you first do before you consider exhumation is look at? Oh yeah. I usually
2: get the autopsy and the tissue samples and microscopic sections and so
1: forth. Are there cases where you're kind of like, no, the findings fit what they're saying and so you're like, there's no need to exhume. Do you do, you do that also? Well, the cases that I, that I get there has been a problem. Someone who's concerned about something.
2: so and but if the autopsy that the first autopsy has answered those questions, then I just say, generally, you know, I don't think it's worth it.
1: So we did the first first exhumation. What caused it to go to a second exhumation?
2: Well, the second exclamation was the, the concern about some trauma to the shoulder area.
1: And did you confirm that there was trauma to the shoulder area?
2: We dissected that area again, and yeah, it did appear that there was some trauma. Mm-hmm. In and of itself would not have been life-threatening. It wasn't a serious injury, but there was some bruising.
1: Okay, so maybe it just was part of what happened, not what killed him, the shoulder part. Right, okay. correct. And do you have a theory on what might have happened or what could have transpired?
2: Well, I think there was an altercation and that he probably was either struck in the neck or more likely arm placed around the neck and held very strongly and he became unconscious. At which point most likely the pressure was released and they probably waited for him to wake up and he didn't. Yeah. And uh, so I don't think it was a situation where the, it was necessarily applied until he died. Right. But it was partly a sudden event with uh, uh, an, an adverse outcome, shall we say?
1: -hmm. And so did you then interpret the fact that he was put into the gym mat to be maybe somebody trying to cover up what they had done?
2: Yeah, I think so. And then he was rolled in the gym mat. Which would explain his position at the bottom, and then he was discovered the next morning.
1: hmm um, And what sort of contact, when you're doing these cases, do you have with the family? Do you have any contact, or they just talk to you through their lawyer, or how does that even work?
2: The family had come down because they didn't were not allowed in where you did the autopsy, obviously. Of course. But uh, yeah, essentially, I didn't have a whole lot of communication with them mostly through the through the attorney. hmm That's a potential area where you could be biased.
1: Of course. You know, this
2: in the family. So, as a scientist, you want to remove as many extraneous biases as possible, so you can keep it as objective as possible. Yeah. and uh, You gotta always recognize that the bias might be there, but you gotta be, you know, it's like in many medical examiner's offices now around the country, not many I should say, at least some who recognize the fact that the pathologist can be influenced by a bunch of detectives standing around at the autopsy telling him, you know, what happened and so forth. So in a number of medical examiner's offices, law enforcement is not allowed in when the medical examiner is doing the autopsy. I mean, you get the information later because you don't need that information when you're making your objective observations. And that eliminates bias. The medical examiner community in general has been extremely reluctant to recognize the presence of cognitive bias. That's unfortunate because I think some of them feel like they're another arm of law enforcement. They're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be independent medical analysis. Yeah. But as we said before, that always doesn't happen. And there can be economic ramifications for crossing law enforcement
1: that's a huge concern in how that process works because you that shouldn't be able to be played in. Because of course, if you're worried about taking care of your family, sometimes I think you would allow things to be one way instead of the way they should be. <laughs> so did you ever talk to or hear about the fact that Kendrick's dad had gone and looked at the body and also felt that it, where it was being stored was a warmer environment?
2: No, I didn't. We got the information that the coroners refrigerator was not working, so it wasn't properly managed.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that his dad has stated repeatedly, is when he went to see the body, he thought it was so strange because it was warm, like the wherever he was being stored was warm and not cold, so he was surprised, you know, after watching movies and TV and that kind of sure. stuff, that it wasn't cold, like he had it. You know, if
2: it had been properly handled, it would have be been probably a lot better preserved, but I think The area, as far as we're concerned, with the area we found, Mm -hmm. was actually not subject to very much decomposition. and had been even better fixed because that area is perfused, untouched by the, the embalming fluid, and that basically preserves that area.
1: So the second autopsy was brought about because of a shoulder injury and trying to look a little bit more into that injury. Yes. And then were those second autopsy findings taken at all by the Lowndes County, or again, that was only with the DOJ ever?
2: That occurred after the DOJ, the second autopsy, because it was a, quite a while between the, that and the first. And the other one was just to document whether or not that it was. It really did not figure in the cause of death, but it did figure in that there may have been an altercation.
1: What were you guys trying to accomplish by doing the second one just to show that there might have been
2: well, to look at the area, I mean, the question was, was it severe trauma and so forth? Okay. And normally, really, the first autopsy, we'd pretty much looked at the area and didn't think it was it was very significant. And with the second autopsy, I mean, we found that there was trauma, but it wasn't significant it in itself, wouldn't have anything, but we still have the major cause of death, and that is the neck trauma.
1: When we talked to Sheriff Paul, he he told us you had found different findings in the second one than you did the first, and it doesn't sound like that's the case at all. It just sounds like you looked further into it.
2: We just looked at that one area. That was all we needed to do. We'd already dissected the whole area, the first autopsy, so none of that was there. We took those tissues and sampled them. The sheriff has not ever communicated with me. so. Uh, if he has any questions that need to be answered, you know, he has the opportunity to do that rather than just make, speculate as to what may or may not be the case.
1: When I talked to him, I just assumed that he had spoken to you. That's why I was like, okay, I guess that's interesting that he feels like the his first autopsy and his second autopsy contradicted each other.
2: Well, again, that's diversion.
1: It just seems that would be such an easy thing to do, to just call you, Zoom, whatever, send me some stuff over. What are we doing to investigate it if this isn't what we're doing? Like, I don't get that. Why wouldn't you go to the most obvious point and try to figure out what that means? Then what else are they doing? So the Sheriff Polk got 17 boxes of evidence back from the DOJ. Sheriff Ashley Polk says,
0: one of the things I promised the people of this county was that if I would look thoroughly into the KJ case and give them my opinion. And people would ask me you know, during the campaign, "said Was, he, was it an accident? Or was it a murder?" I said, "I can't give you an opinion until I see every file on it." Of course, recently, you know, December of last year, the federal government did release all their files to me. And of course, they came with a, you know, an order that they they were sealed, and uh, I can't discuss any particulars in those files, but I'm taking their files, our files, any, any other criteria on the case, going through it with a fine tooth comb. It's not going to be an easy process. I mean, yeah. there's 17 filing cabinet boxes and 14 of them are printed material and the rest is, you know, disk and tower and things like that. Wow. Six to eight months progress, but, not, you know, at least, but I'm doing it myself with another person that was involved in the case and calling mm-hmm. other people. And so. Uh, I will give an opinion when I see it, and I, I don't have a predisposed opinion of what it is. You don't ever want to go into a case
2: like that. So.
1: I then asked Dr. Anderson, do you think that at least your findings are in those boxes? I would think so. Do you think that since the case has been reopened, that that information is going to be taken seriously?
2: Well, I don't know. I've still not been contacted. I mean, the, the best way is to contact the person that, that did it, Yeah. information, and find out.
1: I just wanted to break into the episode really quick and remind everybody to subscribe if you can. You can subscribe right on the website, ashes toashtv.com. that's spelled A-S-H-E-S-T-O-A-S-H-T-V.com. That money just goes right back into helping us try to solve these cases, and believe me, every bit helps. So if you can subscribe, please do. If not, the show is always free. We do this to help get in tips and solve these cases. If you are able to subscribe and do, you do get discounts on merchandise. You get to see episodes early. You get behind the scenes content. And you get to be part of our private Facebook subscriber group, which gives you a little more access to the crew if you have any questions. And last but not least, you get to see ad-free content. If you're unable to support the show financially, please just share this content. That helps a lot. It helps get more eyes on the show and gives us a better chance of solving these cases. And now, back to the episode. Do you have any confidence that this case will ever come to a acceptable conclusion?
2: I really don't have an opinion one way or another on that. I don't know what they're going to do. All I do know is I've not been contacted yet. And it's been, the first autopsy was done in 2013. Our autopsy was done in 2013. And I've yet to be contacted by anybody in Georgia.
1: So the only times the officials have asked to communicate with you was through the DOJ? Correct. For that half-day meeting After that you had? After the DOJ, yeah. Okay. And when you talked to the DOJ, did they seem pretty interested in asking questions? Yeah,
2: but they were interested from the fact that uh, I think they concluded this was not a civil rights violation, so it was not under federal jurisdiction, essentially.
1: Do you feel like civil rights comes into this or you don't have an opinion on that?
2: Personally, I don't think it's anything to do with civil rights. I think it was a fight and a bad outcome from what normally would not be a fatal injury. If you were gonna kill somebody, that a sudden grabbing the neck is not necessarily what you would do. Yeah. But I think when it happened, then Kendrick, for some reason's heart slowed to the point and it did not re- restart.
1: Have you seen a lot of hemorrhage damage done to people in your career?
2: Yeah, I've done about 9,000 autopsies now. Yeah, a lot of strangulations and a lot of blunt force to the neck and so forth. Yeah, a lot.
1: Do you feel like doing a thorough autopsy on a body can really provide a lot of the answers to what happened to somebody?
2: Oh, absolutely. And that's why we do it. That's why, that's why they have medical examiners finding the information for law enforcement to decide what they're going to pursue a case or not pursue a case. I mean the medical examiner decides if it's a homicide accident, natural suicide whatever. Mm-hmm. so you know if you call it, as a medical examiner, you call it a natural death it's probably never going to be prosecuted as a homicide.
1: Yeah how many of those autopsies would you say you've dealt with positional asphyxia cases?
2: Oh I've probably had a couple hundred over the years positional asphyxia of one type of another entrapment and so forth
1: absolutely when we started this we were trying to look for positional asphyxia cases where people were upside down well
2: they don't have to be upside down they can be trapped people get wedged between the bed and the dresser something they can't get up and over a period of sometimes hours and hours before they actually the muscles get so tired they can't breathe anymore
1: i don't know if i recognized that that it could happen anyway not just I kept thinking inverted, but it's not even no, that. No. Did you think when you look at some of the pictures, you can see that the, obviously the blood seemed to kind of go into the head and the shoulders? Is that correct? Is that what that discoloration is?
2: Yeah, and part of it's deco- early decomposition, too, yeah, because of probably the heat. But yeah, a lot of it is the, uh, the post-mortem settling of blood.
1: Okay, so if there's a, a part hanging down, gravity kind of pushes the blood Right, it's down. called liver
2: mortis, and okay. it's a settling of blood. And yeah, if it happened to be head down, you'll get more, much more of that in the in the uh, face and upper torso area.
1: The pictures obviously are jarring, because there's decomp, so it does look like, uh, more like an Emmett Till situation, where he was beat up uh, in the face and stuff, but those discolorations weren't from being those ones where you see in the face and the chest that's from the blood though that's not correct from yes. a beating or any bruising that although way.
2: we did i think we found that there was one area of trauma we found that the second exhumation autopsy that was trauma okay. but uh yeah he wasn't beaten or anything
1: Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy who lived in Mississippi. On August 28th of 1955, he was badly beaten and then lynched. The reasons white locals took these actions against him were because they claimed he offended a white woman in a grocery store. So they subsequently beat and lynched him. Now how this relates to the Kendrick Johnson case as many people have put up online Emmett Till's picture juxtaposed with Kendrick Johnson. And I think when you see them side by side, they do both visually appear to be two young men who have been beaten very badly. I think is what we're finding, though, is the difference between Kendrick Johnson and Emmett Till is Emmett Till was badly beaten amongst the face. And according to the forensic pathologist, it doesn't appear that Kendrick Johnson was beat in the same way. I think the end result of both of these cases is death though. So if Kendrick Johnson's was a murder, that is just as heinous as Emmett Till's, and there's no excuse for that happening. And I really think what people are trying to say when they put the photos next to each other is basically Kendrick Johnson is a modern day lynching. And regardless of if that is true or not, one thing I think is really heartbreaking is that you have two young men, Emmett Till who was for sure murdered whose attackers were acquitted and never held accountable, and Kendrick Johnson, who if he was murdered, his attackers haven't even been brought to justice in any way, shape, or form. So I think that's another very interesting link, another black teenager who might never get justice for the crime committed against him. The trauma kind of was limited to the shoulder and the neck area on the same side of the body. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever speak to the family after you had those results or after you sent you just sent the results to the lawyer? or How does that work?
2: I sent the report to the attorneys, and I don't recall specifically discussing the case with the family.
1: When they originally found Kendrick, it took them about five or six hours to get the coroner out there. Does that seem pretty consistent with the cases that you've worked on, or are usually coroners called sooner?
2: Well, since we're not in a coroner's state, we're medical examiners, but the medical examiner by law is required to be notified immediately that's why i have on call 24 hours probably in the orlando area an average response time would be 15 20 minutes to a scene
1: okay i question sheriff Polk. or do you have an opinion on and i don't know how that works in Georgia. But one of the things that I keep hearing on social media was this gap when the, between when they found Kendrick and then when they called the coroner. And it seems like online people are saying that that should have happened much sooner. Is that something that's common that the coroner's called much sooner? Or was, in your opinion, did that seem strange at all? Or was just...
0: Well, you've got a crime scene and the coroner is the coroner, but he does not have the authority to be on the crime scene until the investigators let him be there. He could have been called um, earlier, I mean, but he could just, all he could have done was sit there and look, couldn't do anything else, and um, so, um, you know, he was very critical, it was just a turf war, feelings hurt situation, but really, I mean, the, the, the law enforcement is in charge, and they, you can call the car, and like, I mean, you tell him when he can come on the scene, when he would pronounce the person dead because he, he cannot contaminate the crime scene. He is not a sworn officer. So, I mean, you know, he, he has no business on the crime scene until so he's allowed there by the, by the authorities. So it doesn't matter what time you call him, really.
1: So that's kind of common. Not really. Yeah, I
0: okay. mean, one th- thing they were hiding from the coroner, I mean, there was nothing, nothing to hide from him. Right. And his whole, his, whole, his whole duty was pronounced the person dead, which was quite obvious
2: when they got there.
1: I then asked Dr. Anderson about his response. So did that seem odd to you yeah, that he wasn't? a long
2: time. Of course, the coroner in that particular situation was not a physician anyway. So just to have him come out really wouldn't be particularly helpful one way or another because he was not expert in looking at the body and determining anything. If they had the medical examiner out there, that would be a different story. But that's one of the weaknesses of the system.
1: One thing I find incredibly fascinating here is the difference in responses from Dr. Anderson to Sheriff Polk in regards to if the coroner should have been called immediately. I'm kind of surprised at how dismissive Sheriff Polk was about the fact that the coroner wasn't called for over five hours and he even references the fact that the coroner got incredibly upset that he had not been called earlier and is really dismissive of the whole thing and basically states that the coroner has no standings against law enforcement and no rights if law enforcement chooses not to call them The thing that concerns me is it's a significantly weird death and I think that you would want to pull out all resources for that kind of death to make sure you dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. But in this case, for some reason, they chose to not call the coroner for over five hours. And so once the coroner arrived, it was long past the time that Kendrick had been found. And I think that's really heartbreaking because I think if anyone, just from a human standpoint, had a loved one that they lost in an incredibly strange circumstance that wasn't obvious just by just looking at it what had happened, I think you'd want to make sure that all the resources were used properly and to the best of their ability to find out what happened to your loved one. And in this case, it just doesn't seem like that occurred. Do you think that the autopsy or any of the findings would be any different if he had been kept in a refrigerated space for that time prior to that first one being done? Or would that, does that not have too much of an impact because you can still find all the answers?
2: Well, you probably can still find most of the, particularly the important things like the lung weight and so forth probably didn't. But obviously, it's always better if you have better preservation.
1: If you do put a body in a spot where it's not being preserved properly, what, how can that end up damaging the end results for a medical examiner?
2: Well, primarily the problem is that the tissue will begin to deteriorate. So when you look at it under the microscope, you don't have good tissue like you do in a biopsy or an immediate autopsy and all the cells are well-preserved and so forth, that they tend to break down over a period of hours if they're not refrigerated. And so you, it becomes not as easy to tell under the microscope. Uh, but generally, the findings which looking at with the naked eye part, it, it doesn't change that much.
1: And did you feel like the the level of decomp that had happened when you finally ended up seeing the body was seemed pretty aligned with the fact that if he had been in the mat and then kind of left in a warmer environment for a couple of days until the exam was done? Did that seem to make sense to you? Was there anything that stood out or didn't make sense? No,
2: I think it, it's consistent with him not being refrigerated for a couple of days.
1: Okay. This accident or murder kind of going back and forth, it's kind of crazy because I feel like it still could have been almost an accidental murder even if somebody had... Well, that's
2: what, yeah, that's what I've maintained all along. Right. They didn't mean to kill him. but they did, you know, it, it happened. And they do prosecute people when that happens. You oh, know, you, well, you and
1: know. you have to. I mean, it's unfortunate because no one wants to see everyone's lives ruined, but if you-
2: But someone, you didn't have to put the, in the neck hole oh, in the first place, you know, it would, could be dangerous, obviously.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. That's kind of a weird part about this is I feel like it's it still could be an accident, just someone still needs to be held accountable for that.
2: Inadvertent, shall we say, rather than an accident. In, inadvertent in- inadvertent death.
1: Yeah, exactly. Is there any way that you can tell all the time of death when it's that far gone? No. Okay, I don't think so. That oh, was, we
2: can not say it was it was sudden.
1: It was sudden, so that's for sure you know. How long does that type of death usually take, like a minute or 10 minutes? A
2: minute minutes? or so, probably, yeah. The heart, in other words, the heart immediately stops and it doesn't start.
1: Yeah, so, so. it's kind of, okay. We had heard some rumors that there had maybe been a a weight that had been used, like a 50-pound weight. Had you heard anything about that?
2: No. I mean, I suppose a weight could have been dropped on his neck. Anything that would cause that sudden compression could basically result in this.
1: But your, your kind of thinking on it was that it was most likely an arm.
2: Yeah, an arm grip. An arm
1: grip. I mean, that makes more sense than a weight. If somebody did die of an accident from falling into a mat, what type of injuries do you think that you would see?
2: Well, we would need to see the positional asphyxia, because he obviously didn't have enough injuries to cause, uh, he didn't hit his head as he fell into the mat or anything like that. So it would have been entrapment, and I think that's what the medical examiner called it, it was a positional asphyxia.
1: So that would be the main thing you would see yeah. if it was, and your claim is it's not because we're missing the Right, component. yeah,
2: it's just like trying to uh, call a gunshot wound homicide when you have no gunshot wound. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> Ashes to Ash is created by Ash Patino, associate name. producer, Kate Giordano, production name. manager and co-host, Bree Blankenfeld, brain. title music, Bones, performed by Eight Graves. Subscribe on the website to receive commercial-free content, early access to episodes, uncut interviews, and discounted merchandise. Just go to -to ashes2ashtv.com, www.ashestoashtv.com. If you have a tip or information, please email us at ashland57 at gmail.com, A s h l a n d five seven at gmail.com we can keep you anonymous if you know of illegal activity involving this case please reach out to your local law enforcement to follow us on facebook please go to ashes to ash true crime and on instagram twitter and youtube at ashes to ash tv